0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: We're talking Kansas City and Green Bay on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotovis Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, one of the owners at Rotovis coming to you this episode solo as Curtis is heading back to the Mind of Mansion podcast, I believe it is, this evening. He and I are going to get together tomorrow night to record some more episodes for this week, but I did want to take the time here to do another one of these episodes where we take a look at my projection process, but we do so to kind of do a sensitivity analysis, if you will, on some players that I find to be particularly interesting. Uh, We looked at Arizona last week. I wasn't believe, I actually already... I know that's bad. Forget some of the teams that we talked about. But today, I wanted to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. On the Chiefs side, we're going to take a look at Juju Smith-Schuster in particular, trying to get a sense of what his range of outcomes from a subjective projection-building perspective might be. And then in Green Bay, I want to focus on... Uh, Alan Lazard and see what that could look like. We'll see how much time we have after we roll through those two players and maybe uh, hit in a couple other guys on Kansas City and Green Bay in this episode. If you did not listen to the previous episode where I talked a little bit about how I actually go through and build the projections for the site and the way that we set up our projection tool and the methodology that we've built out and ironed out over the years, you're going to want to go back very likely and listen to that episode from last week. In case you are new here, I'm in the process, um buying time right now, as you may have gathered, I'm in the process of going back and looking at the name of the episode. Okay, easy to find. It's called Projection Primer projection primer. And in that episode, I outlined the process, gave some more color on how we do it, how we build. And we actually talked about James Conner, Drake, London, and Kyle Pitts. Okay. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right. So let's actually start here with Kansas City and Juju Smith-Schuster. I have seen a couple of different projections for Juju. Uh, most of the ones that I've seen, no surprise, tend to be a little bit more bearish on he than I am. Those that have followed me for a couple of years know I was down on Juju after his first year in comparison to where most people in the industry were. Then things kind of flipped and I was very high on him. Obviously, I've had to Step off the gas pedal there a little bit with how things have gone for him post year two, but it's not a terrible situation for him at all. Obviously in Kansas city, in fact, it's a very good situation. So as I start looking at the chiefs and I look at their play volume from last year to kind of get a baseline of expectations, they ran 66 more plays than league average, They had a 61% to 39% passing percentage. And that ratio is actually held since 2019. So with Patrick Mahomes there, um, the expectation really can be that they're going to pass about 60% of the time, run about 40% of the time, run more plays than league average. I have the team passing about 635 times this year which is a bit of a decrease from the prior year, trying to account for the potential impact um, of Tyreek Hill leaving uh, and perhaps this team not being quite as pass heavy as they were last year. Although, admittedly, if you pace things out in 2021, they were very close to how they would have been in 2022. But we can play with that number. What you're probably more interested in hearing about is how I would break out the target shares. Now, Travis Kelsey, I think you can expect to see similar to what he saw last year in terms of target share. I am of the opinion, opinion though, that we do see Travis Kelsey in terms of not only rate stats, but also market share start to decrease just a little bit, even with the absence of Tyreek Hill. So he was at a 25% target share in 2020, was only at 22% last year. And these are for games in which he played years prior. He was at 25. His peak was at 27 back in 2018. So my projection for Kansas City this year still has Travis Kelsey seeing the highest market share on the team at 23%. I shouldn't say still Uh, what I meant to say was still has him receiving a very high target share. Of course, Tyreek Hill last season put up a target share of 25%. So he actually led the team. So I have Juju Smith Schuster slated in with a target share of 21%. So a decrease of 4% in comparison to Tyreek Hill. Given that play volume. And that target share. I expect him to earn about 133 targets. Using rate stats. Similar to what we've seen for him in the past. Uh, with a bit of an increase this year. For yards per reception. Going to 12. Whereas last year and the year before. He was only around. 8.9 and 8.6. Put him back up to 12. Um, in his. His sophomore and junior NFL season, if you will, he was at 12.8 and 13.14. I don't think that that's a radical uh, projection in terms of yards per reception for Juju. A lot of teams, wide receiver ones will come out in that range. We can play with it. I do have him for receiving touchdown percentage of 10%, a little bit of bump from what he's seen in his career. Of course, Tyreek Hill, Uh, Did have a couple of seasons where he crested that 10% mark, was at 8% last year. When I put all of this together, it gets Juju to 89 receptions, 1,068 yards, nine receiving touchdowns. Where that slates him in, and I have not finished all of my projections yet, but if you look at where the teams, and I'm through about 18 now, where those wide receivers have finished and then the rolled forward numbers for the remaining guys or the remaining teams from last year, this projection puts Juju at wide receiver 24. And if I go over and I look at current ADP for, let's uh, let's look at FFPC leagues and take a look at... Uh, Bear with me for a second here. Okay, yeah. So if I go over to the FFPC exposures and ADP tool and look at Juju, I'll see that uh, his positional ADP is 27, which I think is in line with approximately where we would rank him and also aligns fairly decently with the way that things work out when you look at that projection. Now... There obviously are some scenarios in which Juju picks up some upside. One of these would be if the team's passing volume were to increase just five targets over. It was last year, perhaps. Let's see what happens if we get it up to around 670 targets, holding steady that target share of 21%. In that case, Juju moves up to 141 targets, pops up to 94 receptions. It actually does not move his receiving touchdown number that much. If we look at him now, he would pop up to 19. And of course, the hard part about playing with all of these projections this way is you're going to get similar things when you start modeling scenarios where other players realize high ends of their scenarios. So you always have to keep that in mind as you look at these. And that's why it is important to delineate for yourself how far those range of outcomes might be or how likely it is that certain players are able to realize that upside that is there. This gets back to why it's important to have a consistent approach when you are doing your projections If you are keeping in mind that the whole purpose is for you to better understand what could go right or what needs to go right, what could go wrong uh, in terms of a player's season to get them to various finishes versus just trying to make this set of projections that you use as gospel that you let guide every decision that you make. All right. So that's that's one tweak you can make. Uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to go the other way. Now we have Juju at a 21% target share. If you're curious with the rate stats, let's say we moved him up to 24%. Again, Tyreek Hill was at 25 last year. What does this do? Well, that's going to bump up his target share to 152 targets, gets him to 102 receptions, over 1,200 yards. More importantly, it adds another touchdown. And now if you were to look at him, that would shoot him into a top 10 projection. I don't think that that's a very likely scenario that we see him getting to that target share, but you might be more inclined to say, all right, what happens if you are really overestimating Dave and he goes four percentage points, the other direction of a change and only sees 17% of targets in that scenario, Smith Schuster, and I actually got to go looking for him now. Um, Wow, he really, really drops down because now he comes in at wide receiver 41. I think looking at him as a 21% type of player makes a lot more sense. Um, When you look at the fact that Miko Hardman, uh, in his time frame with the Chiefs, his highest target share came last year at 13%. You have Sky Moore, the rookie coming in, I don't think you could slate him for a tremendously high target share. I think a 15, 16% would be a very nice target share for him. I have him at 14% in my projection. Um, Marcus Valdez-Scantling, it will be his first year with Kansas City, departing from Green Bay. Kansas City's wide receiver, three. The last couple of years has been at, at around 10 or 9% target share. So that 21%, I think, is pretty fair for Smith-Schuster. Even if you flip him to 20%, you're still probably looking at him in that range where he could flirt with being a t- low-end tight end two, high end, or excuse me, low-end wide receiver two, high-end wide receiver three. The final adjustment that you might want to see is what if we take that receiving touchdown number down and instead of 10%, he only gets like 6%. Well, This is going to have a pretty dramatic impact because that would drop him down to five touchdowns, right? So if you think he's going to get closer to five touchdowns than nine touchdowns, then all of a sudden Juju becomes a player that is closer to a low-end wide receiver three, but still comes in at 31 in the projection. So it's pretty interesting to see... That um, we're able to even losing four touchdowns uh, in this case still holds somewhat um, in that same range where he's not really falling out of contention of being a player that would be pretty usable for your team. And um, that's because the reception total is still pretty high at 89. Um, and then just to kind of explore things further, um, 8% would put him at. An 8% touchdown rate would put him at seven receiving touchdowns uh, because admittedly nine might be a high projection for him. Perhaps I'm overzealous for him like I tend to be. Um, And in this case, he would come in at wide receiver 27. So that only moves him back three spots from the original projection that I had. I am going to quickly hit refresh so that I don't save
0: those changes in our projection machine. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now
1: we can turn our attention toward the Green Bay Packers. This is going to be another team where it's difficult to say exactly what things are going to look like from a target share perspective. You have Devonte Adams who over the last three or four years has been by and large, one of the most targeted players in the entire league. And we'll look at him first. Then we'll look at what green Bay has done in terms of play volume the last couple of years. But last year, a 32% target share for Adams in 2020 it was at 34%. I think that might be tied for the highest total that we've seen, and maybe not exactly sure the timeline, but suffice it to say, a very long time. He was at a 30% uh, 30% target share in 2019, so that's vacated. That is vacated. And I actually think that we see Lazard pick right up where Adams left off. No, I uh, I do not. I do think that it's rather evident he's going to lead this team in target share. Um, but I think that you're going to see a case where a 20%, 19, 20, 21% is a lot more likely. Maybe he could get up to 24 25% for what I'm trying to achieve with my passive projections here, I have put him in at 19%. Uh, I think uh, Green Bay is a team here where it makes sense to run through what I have assigned to the other players to give you some perspective. Aaron Jones could be at 12%. Now that wouldn't be the highest total he's ever been at. Uh, I think it's important this year when projecting him to build in a little bit of a decrease off of prior years. He was at 13% last year. uh, And that's just because Jones is reaching that point where I would expect him to start to slow down a little bit. I also think that AJ Dillon should continue to get worked in. Uh, Robert Tunyon, I have at 12%. That's holding in line with what he's done there might be a proclivity to think because he's a familiar target for Rodgers that he sees a tremendous bump. Um, and that, that could happen. But I think even if you do see him like a tremendous bump for him, I think would be up to 16% target share. I think even if that happens, that does not have a very large impact on Lazard. Um, because the wide receivers behind him, you have a rookie Uh, in Christian Watson that does not figure to be the type of player that's going to come in and be able to command more than a 16% target share as a rookie. I could be wrong, but we wouldn't expect that. Randall Cobb um, is at the point where his role does not figure to be one where he's shouldering a massive workload for the team, putting the team on his back. Uh, In recent seasons, he's been at 9 and 10 games, I believe, might have been 12 one of those years. But the point being, it's going to be hard for him to play a full complement of games, potentially. And then there's also Sammy Watkins on this roster. You have, uh, you know, a couple other options at wide receiver, but no players that are extremely proven as the type that are going to come in and take a very big target share. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, there's like Malik Taylor, Romeo Dubes, a couple other young players. But really, this is Lazard's uh, wide receiver core. And that 19% number with rates from what he has done in the past. So 9% touchdown rate. um, He's actually been at 10%, 9%, 20% last year. uh, But that's not like, what am I trying to say here? This might be a little bit aggressive, I guess, even though Lazard has been at that total before, because it's hard oftentimes for players when they move into this, wide receiver one spot for their team to be able to roll forward their receiving touchdown percentage. That efficiency normally drops a little bit uh, with Devonte Adams being gone. It might be hard for Lazard to remain that efficient as a touchdown scorer, but I do think that playing with Aaron Rodgers and having Rodgers as the quarterback in this situation certainly helps. So let's just go with 9%. On a passing volume of 570 attempts where the team... Last year had, um, I got to look this up, I do not remember. Last year they had 586 attempts, Um, so it's not too major of a scale back. Overall, I have the team running fewer plays this year than I did last year. Uh, but with all of those considerations, Lazard's at 108 targets in this projection, 907 yards, six receiving touchdowns. And if we look at him in the set of projections that are currently available um, to me, i got to find him here, actually. Comes in at wide receiver 42. So with a projection like that, it might be easy to see that some people are overdrafting Lazard out there. Now, I'm not sure if that's evident when we look at ADP. So let's see where he comes in in FFPC ADP. He's uh, a positional ADP of 47. So it seems like a lot of people are, are, are appropriately valuing that median expectation. Now, let's see what we get here, right? If we assume that he really is able to run away with that target share and he gets to somewhere around 20, let's just do 24%. 24% holding the other number steady, uh, 12.6 yards per reception, that 9% receiving touchdown rate, a catch rate of around 67%. Um, if you're curious in his career, he's been at 67% or higher from a catch percentage perspective earlier in his career. He was at almost 14 yards per reception. Um, That would be a very high, very high amount for a player stepping into his team's wide receiver one role. I think 12.5 is more appropriate for this exercise. Um, With those changes to his target share, how high does he go? He's still outside the top 24, um, in fact, okay. he does come in at wide receiver 21. So I think it's safe to say for Lazard to be a wide, to get into that wide receiver two range, he probably has to approximate 24% target share. Uh, we could explore what it would look like if he saw Devonte Adams level target share. Um, I can tell you. Off the top of my head, knowing how this would work, he would definitely be a top 10 player at that point. Uh, that seems to me to be very, very unlikely. So that does give him some upside if you think he could get to that 24, 25% range. I don't think that there's a tremendous amount of downside um, when you have an ADP of 47. So I don't think we need to explore or an ADP of wide receiver 47. So I don't think that we need to explore that. My thoughts on Lazard and the way that I'm playing this in best ball is that that current ADP, I'm trying to get a pretty decent amount of exposure because I think that the upside's pretty good in that it seems to me that it's reasonable that I could be looking at a player that's able to finish as a low end wide receiver three if a couple of things pan his way. Uh, versus that ADP of 47. That's a spot in the draft where I don't mind jumping up a couple of spots to get those exposures now, um, anticipating that we could see things start to rise as we get closer to the summer and people keep looking at this wide receiver core and realize that there's not a whole lot there and that he's going to have to be involved. Uh, So I'm looking to get that exposure now. And I am fairly excited about drafting him despite this median projection because it's coming at a point in that draft where I'm looking for that upside. The important thing to keep in mind is though that upside is there, you definitely don't want to go crazy uh, because your baseline expectation for him is one that doesn't paint this picture where you should go absolutely insane um, in terms of getting him on your team. Now, one thing that would be interesting to do to kind of supplement this exercise, and I'm going to do that right now, is to go into the range of outcomes tool and see what that has project or see what that has for Lazard's matches from the prior year to see what would we have been thinking about this player if Devonte Adams had not left. Now, obviously, it is a radical change having a player like Devonte Adams out of the equation there. So we'll have to think about how we factor that in. But I think that this is worthwhile to kind of frame some of our discussion here. He would have been looking at an average of five targets, 3.1 receptions per game, 39 yards, 0.3 touchdowns, 8.6 PPR per game, majority of his distribution under 10 points, no players getting into 20, and just a handful making it over Um, Lazard has played four seasons going into his fifth year. Yes, there's going to be a tremendous amount of opportunity available, but generally what we see is that players at this point that are this established that have shown us what they're capable of, even when they get that increased role, you have to expect that they're only going to be able to do so much with that. They're only going to, be able to do something commensurate with their talent. Um, as a result, I would say that seeing Lazard crack the top 18 is very unlikely. So that's kind of the bow that we will finally put on this. At an ADP of wide receiver 47, definitely like him. I think I could still see drafting him if his ADP goes up to around wide receiver 34-ish is where you start to kind of scale back and really limit that exposure. So I think that going through this exercise should help you frame how you start to contextualize players as you're heading into this season, as you might think about the ranges of outcomes. And as you start to think about the way that things could work in teams, uh, as we always say, the useful aspect of projections, It's just understanding how these tweaks can change what might happen to a player, and it really helps you to better understand the risk and reward of drafting players at different spots in the draft. I really enjoy going through these, so I'm going to try to do more of these as we uh, progress through the year. Unfortunately, I probably can't give away all of the projections, but they are really fun to go through, so we'll see how many players we can hit. Curtis and I will be back again this week, likely recording another drafting episode Let us know when you start to get tired of those. We find it a good organic way to start talking about players while also giving more of the context of how we're approaching them with where they are in a draft and the type of builds that it might make sense to incorporate them into. All right, cool. Thank you for stopping in and we will see you again this week.